I'm Professor Bob Hewish from the Department of International Development Studies at Dalhousie University. You're listening to GDP, the Global Development Primer, the podcast dedicated to all issues in international development studies. Follow me on Twitter at Professor Hewish. Welcome back to GDP, the Global Development Primer podcast. This week, we have another great guest joining us who's been part of the Democracy Dialogues project with the Parliamentary Center in Ottawa. That's Derek Leighton, who serves as the Executive Director of the House Democracy Partnership, which is a bipartisan commission of the House of Representatives that works to promote responsive, effective government and strengthen democratic institutions by assisting legislatures in emerging democracies. Its singular focus on legislative branches of government and its unique ability to bring together American legislatures and their peers from around the world have made the commission a valuable forum for deepening bilateral relations. And we're very happy to have Derek join us today on GDP. Derek, welcome to, uh, to GDP. Thank you very much, Robert, for having me. It's a great pleasure to speak with you. Oh, my. Uh, I'm really glad that you could, uh, could, could join us here. Uh, again, this is a season eight of, of GDP, and we are uh, very happy to say that we have been uh, formally recognized by the good people at uh, Feedspot as being the seventh most popular out of the top 30 uh, podcasts on international development. So I'd like to thank the good folks at uh, Feedspot, uh, particularly Anoush Agarwal, who, who informed me of this, and uh, great to have your conversation to be part of this very broad international dialogue, which I believe has reached some 13,000 listeners in 82 countries so far. So thanks again, Derek, for joining us. Thank you, and congrats on that accolade. <laughs> Thank you. So Derek, you've got a really interesting project uh, underway. And, and I, I mean, you're, you're the executive director of the House Democracy Partnership in D.C., and we've talked a little bit off air about this, and uh, I got to admit, I was very intrigued to hear what this project is all about. Could you could you tell us what the House Democracy Partnership is, and maybe why it matters to to issues of democracy support and assistance? Absolutely. Again, thank you for having me. And yes, I love my job. I have the unique opportunity and privilege to serve as the executive director of the House Democracy Partnership. We are a very unique institution within the United States Congress. We are the only body uh, in both chambers that works directly with members of parliament and parliamentary staff in a sustained, consistent and effective manner to conduct not only bilateral and multilateral exchanges. So the the peer to peer engagement that we have between members of parliament and staff, but also the opportunity to share the best practices of good governance and parliamentary institution building. So the nuts and bolts of a Congress, the inner workings of a committee, the various institutions that really make a Congress uh, run effectively and provide support to members and staff, which um, our U.S. Congress is very lucky and very fortunate to have these great institutions. And we share the best practices, not only from our own system, but also from other effective legislatures and institutions from around the world uh, with a whole host of our partner countries. That's a really, really fascinating program. And, you know, when you were talking about best practices for 
legislatures? I mean, is there anything that, that comes forward uh, in that that you could share with us? Yes. So the best practices, I mean, it can really be quite broadly defined, but I'll let you know, or I'll, I'll, let, I'll tell you some of the, the more, um, the more popular of the, the different themes that we work in. And, and that really comes down to a few. Um, the first is oversight. So one of the core functions of any legislature, of any member, really is to conduct oversight of the executive and the other branches of government for um, his or her constituents. So oversight is a big one. And, and it's basically is how do we conduct oversight? You know, we conduct hearings, we conduct investigations, um, we speak with different stakeholders, we provide transparency and accountability. Um, so oversight is not only one of the most important functions of a member, but also one of the, the greatest uh, and most important themes that we work along with. Um, in addition to oversight, um, committee operations. As you know, we have a whole host of committees and subcommittees. How these committees are run, again, the nuts and bolts behind a committee in terms of its staffing, in terms of its responsibilities, in terms of its mission and how to carry out this mission effectively um, is a very important topic and one that we have a great deal of experience in and we share a lot of those best practices. Um, in addition to those, I would say constituent engagement is a very popular theme and it's something that I think we do quite well in the United States. We have a very active uh, and open media and we work very effectively through our media to ensure that whether it's teletown halls, uh, normal town hall meetings, um, of course, during the pandemic, shifting to virtual uh, nature across the board. Um, those, are, those have been some of the really key priorities. But we also work a lot in gender mainstreaming in, in parliament, uh, again, not just increasing the, the, the number of women in parliament, but also legislating with a gender eye. So ensuring that, you know, men and women are represented equally when it comes down to drafting legislation. Right. Well, this is, this is very encouraging to, to hear. Uh, you know, I, want, I want to get some of the details of this because I, I find this very fascinating. Uh, and it's also really interesting to hear what, what are these pillars of this program? Because I think if I could speak uh, broadly and perhaps recklessly for a minute, you know, usually when we hear about uh, things going on in Washington, oh, the House is deadlocked again, and oh, the the Republicans and the Democrats are are, are stalling this, and and you, we just hear the in international circles just how difficult it is to get uh, legislation through the machinery of, of Washington sometimes. So you know, I, I'm encouraged to hear that that's not the lesson that's being. Uh, promoted by, by this program. Um, oversight. Oversight is something that uh, I think is a really key point and something that many legislatures around the world may indeed struggle with. Um, have, have you, do you have experiences uh, with this program in other countries that specifically have dealt with challenges of oversight? Absolutely, yes. Um, to your first point, you know, yes, politics is inherently um, a challenge. Uh, there's lots of differing opinions. I would say that uh, our most important criteria in the House Democracy Part Partnership is bipartisanship. Uh, when our members right. get together, um, we have 11 from the majority, nine from the minority, regardless of, of which party is in which position. Um, they put aside partisan differences and come together to talk about 
the importance of a legislature and the importance of the independence and the autonomy and the transparency of a legislature. On many occasions, when we meet with our with our counterparts around the world, um, we are often greeted with, wow, I, I had no idea that American Republicans and American Democrats could get along so well together in the same room. And, and it's true because you watch the news and you see what happens in the media and, and you think, gosh, you know, everything is so deadlocked. But that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And the House Democracy yeah. Partnership is often seen as one of the the unique opportunities for members and staff uh, to come together, put away partisan politics and talk about their jobs and talk about the importance of their jobs. So, yes, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's something we deal with. And yes, it's something that we can easily overcome when it comes to this type of work. It's, it's great to hear, Derek. Um, you know, have you ever had the chance to visit the, the parliament in uh, in Ottawa? I have. I had the unique opportunity to go for a conference. Uh, gosh, it's not been many years, um, but I was really impressed. It was a beautiful, beautiful building. Um, you know, the whole campus was was mm-hmm. quite lovely, um, and I um, I really appreciated the opportunity to do so. It's it's something that uh, you know I, th- I think many many schools and universities try to get everyone to at least have a go by at some time. And if you're lucky enough, you can catch question period, which takes place. Monday to Thursday, a certain time. I think it's two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, if you're catching that on TV ever, the the it's theatrics beyond. You know, it's it's uh, it's the the governing party on one side, the opposition on the other side, literally two sword lengths apart from each other, and and the the florid insults and the, the, the wicked robust applause and and you think you think as a spectator you go oh my god like how do these people ever ever talk to each other how does anything get done here and on a visit to ottawa i had a friend who was in a member of parliament and and she gave me a great tour of the place just after a question period and there was one thing that she uh, she shared was that a lot of the mps have their offices not in not in the parliament building itself but in these sort of scattered around. And what they have to do is they have to hop in these little green buses and all pile in, you know, 30 each or something like this. And they get toted up to the Parliament Centre, uh, up to the House of Commons. And, uh, you know, in they go and uh, the theatrics begin. But in those bus rides, everyone's sort of hanging out shoulder to shoulder, hanging on to the, to the straps on the ceiling with their binders underneath their arms and their assistants on their phones and sort of just chatting, you know, uh, just, just talking business and just, how how cool it can be and i always find that so that's possibly one of the most refreshing insights i've ever uh, ever experienced into governance and it sounds like the work that the house democracy partnership is doing is is getting at the core guts of, of that about about you know uh, how the day-to-day job and and that would include committee operations so maybe i can ask you about that as you mentioned uh, i know personally at the university every time somebody asks me to be on a committee i can feel my eyes rolling up in the back of my head thinking like, oh no. Um, so how, how is it that your project is able to encourage people to participate in committees in effective and engaging ways? What are some of the tips? Well, quite often we get a lot of requests from some of our partner countries to explain how some of the best committee work can be done. And that's really defined through a whole host of things like I had mentioned, whether it's how you staff it, how you fund it, you know, how you run its budget to uh, the work that it actually does. Um, 
the the vast majority of our work in the in the U.S. Congress is done via the committee. Um, it's it's a great mm-hmm. honor to be part of a committee that is very relevant to your constituency, and so all the members are you know are very active. They take part. They you know introduce legislation through their committees as well. So it's an extremely important part of the day to day life for members and staff. Um, so when we speak with some of our partner countries or some other countries that are you know, very interested in how committees are run, we explain uh, very basically how, how we operate our committee. And again, we're, we're, never, we're not in the business of being paternalistic and claiming that the way we do things is the best, because that's certainly not the case. But what we do explain is how we do things, where some of our challenges lie, and where, our, where we believe our strengths are as well. And we share everything. Um, we share how things could be done better and where we think we do things quite well. And that, like I said, is it covers every, every machination of a committee. But generally speaking, um, as I had mentioned, the committees are the main outlet for work. And so we've seen in more than one instance where we've worked you know, hand in hand with some members, um, usually a, a, a chair of a subcommittee or a chair of a committee or even a chair of a commission, right? So a, a special committee or a select committee, a part, um, one, that is not temp- um, one that's temporary. And we'll help them achieve what their what their stated mission is, whether it's to produce a report or whether it's to conduct hearings, and we'll help them do so. And we'll you know we'll share how perhaps we use uh, or leverage the media for amplification purposes, um, how to set an agenda, how to you know prep witnesses, you know all really the nitty gritty that's involved is what we'll talk about mm. again in a nonpartisan manner. And we've seen on on many occasions these committees abroad conduct their first hearing or produce their first report. And, and it's done very well. It's done very effectively. It gets good amplification. And we're really proud of, to be able to assist and to, able to, to be able to learn from their challenges as well. Because again, this is a two-way street. It's not just the U.S. imparting knowledge and best practices, but it's also learning from others as well. That's great. And, and again, it just seems like the, the key theme here is making sure that there's transparency and, and openness to making sure that the, that the very architecture of the system is working. And, and we know that, and, and again, back to your opening points about what, what the project is looking at, I'm thinking back to media openness as well. I mean, it, it is the, the, you know, the fourth estate of the, uh, of the, of the system and, you know, that's another thing we hear so much about, you know, journalists that are unable to to get that openness or in some cases putting themselves in deep risk by trying to get transparency in some governance uh, governments abroad. Is is that also something that you've you've looked at or had experience with? Yes. And to your point, yes, these are very important challenges, I think. You know, the United States has a unique relationship with the media. We use our media very effectively when we're in government, and we have a very active media that is interested in government, right? So it is a two-way street. Um, And so for us, we can call attention to something. If a member wants to call attention to something that's happening within the executive or the executive wants to call attention to something that's happening in parliament, um, we utilize the media. We do effective press releases. We do press conferences. We've got um, members of the media and journalists who follow us closely. There's, a, you know, there's press pools, right? Um, and so for us, we've got a very intimate relationship with the media and, and it's one of our primary outlets for dissemination of information. 
Um, other countries, other systems do not have that type of relationship or perhaps do not see the value of utilizing media. Or to your point, sometimes the media is not does not have the freedom um, that uh, it has or it enjoys in other countries. And so we will always be sure to discuss how important a role the media can play when talking about the priorities of an MP, of an MP's staff or office, the committee that's done, or the parliament in general, if we're talking to to leadership. So yes, to your point, it is the fourth estate. It's a critical element for transparency and communication. And just, uh, and one of the other points I mentioned was constituent engagement. You know, you you can't Mm -hmm. speak with everyone individually. You have to use the media to do so. Um, and so that's, that's something that we talk about extensively and we really try to drive home the value of having a free and open media, um, but also learning how to communicate and have a relationship with the media, because that is to some extent, that is a skill set that is, that is learned. Right. And, you know, just as a nod to our journalist colleagues out there, I mean, it is getting tougher in many parts of the world to create that transparency. Uh, on the one side, you know, as we've seen uh, Middle East, uh, of course, the Syria conflict, but also quite a quite a track record in uh, in Turkey uh, as well. I'm thinking I, I had the opportunity to work with some journalist profs uh, there about oh goodness about eight years ago, and it was just at the time when the government was really starting to crack down and and police were showing up at their offices because they were. Uh, you know, not even playing games with uh, the leadership, but just to ask questions. And now, now questions become threatening. And I guess the other the other angle is um, and I've also been in countries where the media is just deep in the pocket of the state. And, you know, you could have a major crisis kicking off. You could have protests in the streets, click on the news, and it's like, well, the grain quota was up this week. Our mushroom mm-hmm. production is up this week. <laughs> what? So, you know, you've got this, this other uh, side of it where, you know, media can just be so embedded within, uh, within some governance structures. And some might find that attractive and comforting, but, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be consequences to that over the long term, I would hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where you can see, that's where you can see the difference between the executive, the legislature, civil society, um, it's ensuring that the media has multiple uh, stakeholders to engage with and that it's not just driven by one, because that's where you get the differing mm-hmm. of opinions. Um, and you can also balance out potentially if a media or an outlet or or even the larger estate is, is potentially co-opted. So absolutely, it's really right. essential. And I think the role that the legislature has in that, well, A, to ensure that laws are passed, that that don't um, pigeonhole the media or don't restrict access to the media um, are, is, is, is critical. Right. And so, so Derek, I think um, I've just got a couple more questions for you. And, and the one issue that you raised stands out a little bit from these other topics we've looked at. So like, over, you know, governments that don't have very good oversight or that, have just derailed or twisted committee operations or have the media either as their sworn enemies or deep in their pocket, we could very easily go around the globe and put, you know, some fingers in certain spots and say, ah, over here. But I think one thing that even tried and tested democracies are wrestling with is trying to create 
greater inclusivity of of voices in which they represent rather than you know the traditional way of, of just a certain cast of characters that always seem to be on the ballot and another group who is not and particularly that that comes down gender lines uh, you know there's 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 a lot of work to be done in almost every country to make sure that that women candidates are able to make it to office and not be pushed out for a variety of reasons that can be socioeconomic or downright violent and i just wonder what is the what is the house democracy partnership looking at when it's discussing issues of gender mainstreaming that's a great question and it's something that um for unfortunate reasons has risen more to the fore during the pandemic um as women around the world have been i think detrimentally affected um, whether it's gender-based violence um, or seeing fewer opportunities um, at independence, both socially, politically, whatever it may be. And so it's definitely come up, um, it's become more prevalent um, since the pandemic started. And it's something that um, we, we place a high emphasis and priority on. Um, so a lot of that can be um, divided into different scopes, if you will. Uh, one is ensuring that the women who or, or generally speaking, minorities in general, are given uh, the proper voice and resources and opportunities within government. Uh, so uh, tokenism is something that we see far too often. Uh, you know, we have a quota, so we've got, let's say, 20 women, and we're good to go. But the problem is that those 20 women aren't given the same opportunities. They're not leadership. They're not um, uh, in charge of a subcommittee, or they're not... Um, they're not given the same opportunities to speak or to engage um, as others are. And, and at that point, what's the point of having a quota if, if they're not really given the same opportunities? So that's, that's something that's very, very important. Um, we also look at engaging uh, multiple women MPs and staff from various countries, usually along regional lines. So from multiple countries within the Middle East, multiple countries within Africa or the Western Hem. Um, and just an opportunity for them to share their experiences, uh, their challenges, their successes, uh, and, and given the opportunity to, to really share um, what they've experienced, especially during the pandemic, is something that um, has been really rewarding and has been a great opportunity um, for, for women to understand what's happening. And A, they're not alone, and B, there are ways uh, for them to assert themselves. Um, and to your other point, Yes, the, you know, the HTP, we try to work with uh, members of parliament who can be um, champions for women to run, uh, to be candidates, to have more opportunities within the political parties that um, oftentimes choose their candidates or, you know, create the party lists. So having a really strong women's caucus um, or a women's conference within Congress is something that we do a lot of work on. We're very proud of the fact that um, we've helped many, many partners um, discuss the best way to form a women's caucus to um, amplify the work that they do and to also serve as mentors for upcoming or potentially upcoming women to get involved in the Congress. And so we're very happy with that. Um, you know, again, it, it, this doesn't take a lot of resources, you know, in terms of, of, of funding. It, it just requires the attention it requires showing up right uh which we which we know is is half the battle really it, it just it matters to be there and to talk about it and to have an ear and to share experiences 
And again, I don't want this to sound overly fluffy because it's not, but doing that alone, that's more than half the battle because it really can be mm. enlightening um, and serve as a great opportunity for others to learn from. It's a great point. And, and you know, to your, to your point on tokenism uh, in there, it's pretty much the antithesis of listening, right? It's just, we need a bunch of people, names and in they go. Uh, but it's the listening process that is ultimately what I think your, your democratic systems try to achieve. It's about having the opportunities for individuals who are not in government to be listened to and for people who are governing to listen then to each other. And, you know, especially with the, with the gender mainstreaming issue is, is that there's so much that falls in the way of a clear path for many women MPs to become women MPs. Uh, and it's a real upstream battle to make sure that those doors are open and remain open well beyond the walls of, of any parliament. Uh, I think the expression, what is it, you know, lead from behind is one where, you know, women leaders or, or leaders who represent uh, minority or underrepresented groups, if, if it's the voice of those groups that's pushing these candidates forward into the positions of power, then we start to see a lot of change. And, and off the top of my head, I know this is probably not a country that uh, would be on the list of recipients for, for work from the House Democratic Partnership, but I'm just thinking about uh, uh, New Zealand uh, and it's, it's the popularity of Jacinda Ardern and during the pandemic and before the pandemic uh, represents that. Uh, there's someone who really, I think, um, embodies that, that lead from behind attitude and it also, if I can just spin it back, the other element that we've seen in New Zealand uh, is an active change in its election structure and its governance structure to encourage minority governments or, or coalition governments. And I, I wonder if I can just ask you as a final question there, how that, how does that work when, when the House Democratic Partner, Democracy Partnership engages other, other systems that are completely different from from the U.S. one, where it's not just, you know, who's got a majority, who's got the most seats in the House, or who controls the Senate, who controls the the, the House. Uh, but to work with countries that, that are encouraging coalition building, uh, have you had the opportunity to work in those systems? And, are, and are there, is there anything unique that comes out of those systems of, of parliaments that are particularly noteworthy? That's a great question. Thank you. Yes. And your the example of New Zealand and the prime minister there is I uh, couldn't couldn't agree more. Um, a great role model for not just women, but for, for men as well, I'd say, uh, so that mm -hmm. they can they can learn themselves and see that, you know, women uh, belong at every single position where men are, obviously. And that, and also, I, I would add, th there's no such thing as a women's issue and a men's issue. Um, I find that very frustrating. And it's something that we see as well, you know, whether it's national security or defense or um, city planning, these are all women's issues. These are all men's issues. You know, one is not reserved to the other. Um, so yes, you, the, you, to your question, the United States, we are uh, a unique system. Um, we're not the Westminster system like Canada, or at least, you know, inspired by the Westminster tradition like Canada or other countries. And so I would emphasize that we do not always 
try to place a value upon the U.S. democratic system because that system is not for everyone. Um, and that's uh, why we're very happy to partner with our friends from Canada, our friends from um, Scotland at some point we worked with quite a few times. Uh, we work with Estonia on e-governance issues. We looked to work with Argentina and Chile in South America when we were hosting anti-corruption uh, meetings with MPs from, from several countries down south. Uh, we look to work with uh, Kenya uh, when meeting with Liberia and the Gambia. We hope to work with uh, Ghana uh, in Western Africa. Uh, we look at Indonesia, South Korea, Japan uh, when it comes to working with our partners in Asia. So the, the, the short answer is, is the U.S. system is not for everyone. But there are certain tendencies. There are certain takeaways you can have. I think the ult, you know, ultimately we're talking about accountability, transparency, constituent engagement. You know, that's what MPs do. They're there to vote. They're there to represent their constituents, and they're there to provide oversight on the rest of government. That is universal. It doesn't matter how you do it or what your system is. Those tenets are irreplaceable. And so, if we can help um, develop you know, a strong committee, or if we can help develop a government accountability office or a congressional research service to help provide research to members and staff, then that is universal. And so, uh, yes, while many systems are very different and some systems work better for, for many and for others, um, those tenants that I just described are universal. And that's what we really try to, to, um, to emphasize. That's great. Derek Layton, who serves as the executive director for the House Democracy Partnership, has joined us today on GDP to talk about the work of the partnership in trying to ensure better democratic oversight, committee operations, media openness, gender mainstreaming, and a bunch of other important factors that go into ensuring good governance, regardless of where it takes place on this planet. So Derek, thank you very much for joining us today on GDP. It's been a pleasure, and I can only hope that more uh, more partnerships come forward in the future, be it with, uh, like you say, with Scotland, Estonia, and hopefully, indeed, with uh, pals in Canada. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. And and yes, this is, I would add, add as a final comment, there, there's no competition to this work. The more people, the more institutions involved, the better. So very much looking, looking forward to, to working with Canada uh, on these important issues around the world. Sounds great. Thanks so much, Derek.